Chapter Four of the Alhambra: A Series of Tales and Sketches of the Moors and Spaniards by Washington Irving. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Four: The Tower of Comares. The reader has had a sketch of the interior of the Alhambra, and may be desirous of a general idea of its vicinity. The morning is serene and lovely. The sun has not gained sufficient power to destroy the freshness of the night. We will mount to the summit of the Tower of Comares, and take a bird's-eye view of Granada and its environs. Come then, worthy reader and comrade, follow my steps into this vestibule ornamented with rich tracery, which opens to the Hall of Ambassadors. We will not enter the hall, however, but turn to the left, to this small door opening in the wall. Have a care, here are steep winding steps and but scanty light. Yet up this narrow, obscure, and winding staircase the proud monarchs of Granada and their queens have often ascended to the battlements of the tower to watch the approach of Christian armies, or to gaze on the battles in the Vega. At length we are upon the terraced roof, and may take breath for a moment while we cast a general eye over the splendid panorama of city and country, of rocky mountain, verdant valley, and fertile plain, of castle, cathedral, Moorish towers and Gothic domes, crumbling ruins and blooming groves. Let us approach the battlements and cast our eyes immediately below. See, on this side we have the whole plan of the Alhambra laid open to us, and can look down into its courts and gardens. At the foot of the tower is the court of the alberca, with its great tank of fish-pool bordered with flowers, and yonder is the court of lions, with its famous fountain, and its light Moorish arcades, and in the centre of the pile is the little garden of Lindaraja buried in the heart of the building with its roses and citrons and shrubbery of emerald green that belt of battlements studded with square towers straggling round the whole brow of the hill is the outer boundary of the fortress some of the towers you may perceive are in ruins and their massive fragments are buried among vines fig trees and aloes let us look on this northern side of the tower it is a giddy height. The very foundations of the tower rise above the groves of the steep hillside. And see, a long fissure in the massive walls shows that the tower has been rent by some of the earthquakes which from time to time have thrown Granada into consternation, and which, sooner or later, must reduce this crumbling pile to a mere mass of ruin. The deep, narrow glen below us, which gradually widens as it opens from the mountains, is the valley of the Darro. You see the little river winding its way under embowered terraces and among orchards and flower-gardens. It is a stream famous in old times for yielding gold, and its sands are still sifted occasionally in search of the precious ore. Some of those white pavilions, which here and there gleam from among the groves and vineyards, were rustic retreats of the moors to enjoy the refreshment of their gardens. 
The airy palace, with its tall white towers and long arcades, which breast yon mountain, among pompous groves and hanging gardens, is the Henrelief, a summer palace of the Moorish kings, to which they resorted during the sultry months, to enjoy a still more breezy region than that of the Alhambra. The naked summit of the height above it, where you behold some shapeless ruins, is the Silla del Moro, or Seat of the Moor, so called from having been a retreat of the unfortunate Boabdil during the time of an insurrection, where he seated himself and looked down mournfully upon his rebellious city. A murmuring sound of water now and then rises from the valley. It is from the aqueduct of yon Moorish mill nearly at the foot of the hill. The avenue of trees beyond is the Alameda along the bank of the Darro, a favorite resort in evenings and a rendezvous of lovers in the summer nights, when the guitar may be heard at a late hour from the benches along its walks. At present there are but a few loitering monks to be seen there, and a group of water-carriers from the fountain of Avellanos. You start. Tis nothing but a hawk we have frightened from his nest. The old tower is a complete brooding-place for vagrant birds. The swallow and martlet abound in every chink and cranny, and circle about it the whole day long while at night, when all other birds have gone to rest, the moping owl comes out of its lurking place and utters its boding cry from the battlements. See how the hawk we have dislodged sweeps away below us, skimming over the tops of the trees and sailing up to ruins above the Henrelief. Let us leave this side of the tower and turn our eyes to the west. Here you behold in the distance a range of mountains bounding the Vega, the ancient barrier between Moslem Granada and the land of the Christians. Among the heights you may still discern warrior towns, whose gray walls and battlements seem of a piece with the rocks on which they are built, while here and there is a solitary atalaya or watch-tower, mounted on some lofty point and looking down as if it were from the sky into the valleys on either side. It was down the defiles of these mountains, by the pass of Lope, that the Christian armies descended into the Vega. It was round the base of yon grey and naked mountain, almost insulated from the rest, and stretching its bald rocky promontory into the bosom of the plain, that the invading squadrons would come bursting into view with flaunting banners and the clangor of drums and trumpets. How changed is the scene! Instead of the glittering line of mailed warriors, we behold the patient train of the toilful muleteer slowly moving along the skirts of the mountain. Behind that promontory is the eventful bridge of Pinos, renowned for many a bloody strife between Moors and Christians, but still more renowned as being the place where Columbus was overtaken and called back by the messenger of Queen Isabella just as he was departing in despair to carry his project of discovery to the court of France. Behold another place famous in the history of the discoverer, yon line of walls and towers gleaming in the morning sun in the very centre of the vega, the city of Santa Fe, 
built by the Catholic sovereigns during the siege of Granada, after a conflagration had destroyed their camp. It was to these walls that Columbus was called back by the heroic queen, and within them the treaty was concluded that led to the discovery of the western world. Here, towards the south, the eye revels on the luxuriant beauties of the Vega, a blooming wilderness of grove and garden and teeming orchards, with the Hineal winding through it in silver links and feeding innumerable rills conducted through ancient Moorish channels, which maintain the landscape in perpetual verdure. Here are the beloved bowers and gardens and rural retreats for which the Moors fought with such desperate valour. The very farmhouses and hovels which are now inhabited by the Boers retain traces of arabesques and other tasteful decorations which show them to have been elegant residences in the days of the Moslems. Beyond the embowered region of the Vega you behold, to the south, a line of arid hills down which a long train of mules is slowly moving. It was from the summit of one of those hills that the unfortunate Boabdil cast back his last look upon Granada and gave vent to the agony of his soul. It is the spot famous in song and story, the last sigh of the moor. Now raise your eyes to the snowy summit of yon pile of mountains, shining like a white summer cloud on the blue sky. It is the Sierra Nevada, the pride and delight of Granada, the source of her cooling breezes and perpetual verdure, of her gushing fountains and perennial streams. It is this glorious pile of mountains that gives to Granada that combination of delights so rare in a southern city. The fresh vegetation and the temperate airs of a northern climate, with the vivifying ardor of a tropical sun and the cloudless azure of a southern sky. It is this aerial treasury of snow, which, melting in proportion to the increase of the summer heat, sends down rivulets and streams through every glen and gorge of the Alpirajas, diffusing emerald verdure and fertility throughout a chain of happy and sequestered valleys. These mountains may well be called the glory of Granada. They dominate the whole extent of Andalusia, and may be seen from its most distant parts. The muleteer hails them as he views their frosty peaks from the sultry level of the plain, and the Spanish mariner on the deck of his bark, far, far off, on the bosom of the blue Mediterranean, watches them with a pensive eye, thinks of delightful Granada, and chants in low voice some old romance about the moors. But enough, the sun is high above the mountains and is pouring his full fervor upon our heads. Already the terraced roof of the town is hot beneath our feet. Let us abandon it, and descend and refresh ourselves under the arcades by the Fountain of the Lions. End of chapter 4